0: Hello there, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to be talking about your faith and ambition and the proper role of humility. And we're going to start off by examining a survey about what Christians believe about absolute truth and the purpose of the biblical worldview. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there's one other with me here in the studio.
1: Hello, I'm John Mills. It's good to be here today.
0: You know, it's great to have you here, John. John, have you been having a good week?
1: Well, so far, so Good.
0: Life's been kind of enjoyable now that it's cooled off a little bit. I don't know what is in store for us at summer. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of like in the tamer weather.
1: Well, right.
0: I would agree with that. Well, John, would you go ahead and open us up in prayer as we begin our conversation?
1: Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. We thank you for this chance that we have to come together and discuss uh, these things uh, that you have taught us. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would anoint and move upon us in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. John, one of the things that are clearly going on in our world right now with the many variety of things that come to possess people is we have an absence of firm conviction. In other words, people, they're missing things to hold on to, the absolute truths, the, the virtues of God. And in your Sunday school lesson this week, you shared with us a survey that looked at Christians inside the church and things they believed. Could you share with us a little bit who made this survey and really the context of it a little bit?
1: Okay, this was a a survey put out by Barna, and they do a a large number of surveys of of religion and Christian groups. But uh, they were asking people specific questions, trying to determine if they had a, a spiritual worldview or not. And these were people who considered themselves Christians. Uh, they announced themselves as as professing Christians and practicing Christians. And so it was interesting to see, and this was from 2017, so a couple of years ago, but but pretty recent. And so it yeah. was interesting to see their views.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a recent survey just coming from 2017. Let's get into it and see some of these topic points, and then we're going to tie into some other, other angles here. So you have in this survey that 23%, and this is of professing Christians, strongly agree that whatever is morally right or wrong depends on what the individual believes. So let's just talk about that, and we'll break each of these down. You know, this really is a tragedy that that there would be almost a quarter of people professing Christians would believe that.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I don't I don't see how you have an understanding of what, you know, the gospel truly is uh, and have the idea that it comes down to, you know, what we believe about it. Uh, there's the idea that on our own, we come up with such crazy ideas. Yeah. You know, we have to have the revelation of God and it has to be a, the gospel, the the good news. It has to be revealed to us from God. You know, I like when Paul talked about this, he made such a point of saying, you know, this is not my ideas. It's not something I came up with. This is something that God himself spoke to me. And really, our our revelations have to be that way. You know, it's so sad
0: to think about this worldview, though, because, I mean, we all have a worldview. And if someone actually holds this in their worldview, that's a really sad place to be because, that means that you're never capable of rising be beyond yourself, that there's no hope. There is no power. There's nothing true. There's, there's no high aspirations. There's no meaning in any of it. When Jesus comes and he commissions people, and you, you find throughout the gospel, of course, we have that great commission. But early on, I think it's in Matthew 10, he comes to him and says, you know, I give you power to cast out demons, to cleanse unclean spirits, to go out, cleanse leopards, all these things, he commissions them with this real power. Even in the Gospel of John, you find him come off the cross, come out of the tomb, and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and says, all s- sins that you forgive, they are forgiven. Those that you retain, they are retained. If you think that that only matters if you believe it, in other words, it's not transcendental, it's not overarching, that's really a sad place to be because there is no hope. That That's a, a very sad, sad place to be indeed.
1: Yeah, it really it does away with the whole idea of truth. If truth is only what I believe to be true, then really there's no such thing as truth. Yeah. You know, and so we get into all kinds of messes when we start that.
0: Sure. Going on to the next one, it says, No one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is for life. And there's about 20% of of professing Christians, so about one in five. And this, again, this is abysmally pitiful to read this because— do you think the disciples, when they get that great commission, Jesus takes them up on a mountain? Do you think they were unsure about the meaning and purpose was? That, you know, it only mattered? you know, no one can know. No one can know. We're just up here wandering around aimlessly. This also just seems so strikingly sad to me.
1: Yeah, it does. And, I, and really, I mean, this is evil. The idea of, you know, of nihilism that oh, it is nothing evil. has nothing has meaning, nothing has purpose, you know, it, it's all just random or chaotic, or you know, I mean that that is really the whole whole basis of what Satan wants us to believe.
0: It certainly is. I know you brought up a couple of weeks ago Nietzsche and his philosophies and things of that. And Nietzsche, his whole nihilistic worldview is very depressing. Yeah. it's it's nihilistic. It's basically the void in Genesis one. And you know who wants to be there? I mean, honestly, why why even bother getting yourself up and going to church if you? Are not going to hold the biblical truths to to any real meaning. If you're not going to aspire to great things, you know th- that's just a level of desperation which is so sad to be consumed by. You know, you describe it as being evil. It's definitely predatory. It does want to consume people and take you back to the void. It's 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 sinister and diabolical. Um, yeah. Let's go on to the next one real quick. This one, 15% say that if your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, then they are wrong. Now, again, I don't know how you could ever arrive at this, uh, reading scripture. Have we seen our our biblical heroes? Um, They often are hated by a lot of people and outright hated to their face. You know, I don't know how it has happened, but in the modern world, we have somehow made it virtuous that if everyone likes you, then somehow you are a virtuous person. But when you look throughout history... Virtuous people are typically despised by a large majority of the people around them. You, you find Jesus being crucified, of course, the ultimate image of that. But even with, with other characters, you see Moses, he crosses the, the Red Sea and they're mad at him. They, they, they continually gripe to himself and Aaron and Miriam. We find there's this continual theme where people who are doing righteousness are oftentimes offending a lot of people. So what are your thoughts on this, John? John?
1: Yeah, I it, it's interesting. I think it goes back to the what we were talking about, whether there is truth or not. Oh, yeah. You know, if there is no truth, then it really doesn't matter what I believe. Instead, it becomes a matter of how my beliefs are affecting you. And so I can change or, you know, I shouldn't insist upon my beliefs if I can't be sure they're really true anyway. Yeah. And it, it gets into this idea of, you know, what is love? And the idea that love is just the idea of toleration and, and extending tolerance to everyone and not not upsetting anyone or, or uh, making them feel bad or anything like this.
0: Which, of course, is ultimately impossible.
1: And a uh-huh. lot of times this
0: is just a Trojan horse for you know evil to come and take possession of people. And then once it has enough power, it typically flips the script and says, well, I'm, I'm here to stay. Bow down uh-huh. to my golden statue that I have made. Um, the last thing on our list I want us to look at is this bottom one. This, just cause for time purposes, I want us to get to talk about GK Chesterton. So we will not spend a lot of time on this one, but it says all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. And that's 28%, almost a third, this whole universalistic mentality. Again, if everything is true, then nothing is true then there is no meaning anywhere. Then again, this is, it's, it is sad.
1: Yeah, I, that number that it would be, like you say, close to a third uh, was kind of shocking to me. Uh, You know, with the idea that, that no one really needs the gospel is basically what it's saying. Yeah. They, they, as long as they are believing whatever they believe, then that's fine. You know, it does away with the whole idea of the gospel or the good news. Sure. Uh, So it's incredible. Yeah, it's very incredibly sad. One of the things,
0: though, we have to do as the church is realize this belief system, I bet these numbers are actually growing. I know this was done in 2017, but our young people, they are having a really bad worldview injected straight into their veins. And I know I've talked about that for a few weeks here. But I've also been convicted that we need to be aspirational. We need to reach above because the world, it wants to be destructive. When we look at the world, we look at the demons that come to possess people. We do see that they're oftentimes destructive. They come as Trojan horses. They mask. They wear their phony things. But also they bring a lot of ugliness with them. They want to take things that are virtuous and make the great virtues of God ugly and hideous. They want to conflate one thing with another. And I want us to talk about humility and how humility is something which should ultimately be aspirational. And now, again, you have to make a distinction between worldly aspirations and godly aspirations, but humility should be something which drives us to walk with God, to reach for the heavens, to aspire for the things above. You know, that Leviticus 19, 9 verse says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We're going to get into G.K. Chesterton, but before we do, I want to throw something over to John. The last few weeks, I've been really convicted that excellence is an extension of holiness. And I wanted to have your thoughts on that while we're here on air.
1: Well, I yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I really think, you know, holiness is the idea that God is perfect and perfection and is what he has called us to. And... The idea, you know, that, that as we strive to be like God, then we strive for excellence. Yeah. You know, I really, there's no, I don't think there's a call to be a lazy Christian. Yeah. You know, I, I think God wants us to pursue excellence yeah. if we are going to be like him. I mean, you can't imagine God not pursuing excellence. No. And so if we are called to be like God, we pursue excellence as well.
0: Yeah. And this is something where it really does apply to every area of your life. We find God coming to people. He never asks people to solve all the problems of the world, even the great prophets of the Old Testament, even the figures in the New Testament when they're commissioned by Jesus. Or perhaps they get a message before Jesus is born. No one is asked to solve the problems of the world. Instead, they're, they're commissioned to make good on the simple things which Jesus have given them. And even though they might be simple, they might seem something which sound small, they really have a massive impact. And it's sort of like the sun. The sun, it's a ball of gas that's lit on fire and it radiates. You know, you can kind of explain that in a few seconds. You can talk about it briefly, but its impact is enormous. Being somebody who is born again, which again, that seems a little bit more nuanced than a ball of gas burning, but having a new identity in Christ, that really should be something which as a regenerate Christian, it has that wide impact everywhere you go. It matters how you deal with the little stuff and how you deal with the big stuff alike. Everything really matters. So do you have any thoughts on that before we jump to G.K. Chesterton?
1: No, go ahead.
0: All right, so let's get into G.K. Chesterton. This is the book Orthodoxy, which I think you can get for free. I think it's in the public domain now. Um, I should have checked on that before getting here. Um, but you can definitely pick it up on Amazon Kindle. If it's not free, it's it's definitely going to not be much. And Chesterton, he talks about how the world is damaged by people who take the Christian virtues and they separate them from their true purpose. And he calls them roaming virtues. How when the Great Reformation happened and you saw the different splits that happened in the church, people would split off into different groups and sects and they would emphasize a different virtue that they found in the New Testament. Some would be really interested in compassion. Others might be really interested in truth. And he says this ultimately leads to heresy. And you can find someone who might be a scientist who pursues truth, but they reject compassion. In other words, they're fine experimenting on people and doing heinous acts. And, of course, he's writing this in the um, the buildup of World War One and going into World War Two. that early 20th century world where you did see a lot of stuff like that happening, um, which, of course, I, I don't doubt that it still goes on today, but... Mm. But he was looking at the world around saying people, they'll pursue truth at the cost of mercy. And then at the same time, he said, you'll also find people who pursue mercy at the expense of truth. In other words, they'll just enable people. You have somebody who's addicted to something, you just help them out in that because you say, well, this is Christian mercy, me being with them. He says, well, you're not not really being Christ-like if you're just enabling somebody. Well, when it comes to humility and the role of ambition, he says, we have allowed ambition and humility to be dislocated like a dislocated joint. And just to read a little bit out of G.K. Chesterton's orthodoxy, he says, a man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. But this has been exactly reversed. When we read through that survey that you shared with us, John, in your Sunday school lesson, this is exactly reversed. Where people, they say, if something is morally right or wrong, that is contingent upon whether or not we believe it as opposed to it's morally right or wrong whether or not i believe it you know jesus he either resurrected on the third day or he didn't it doesn't matter whether i believe that or reject that that's a fact that is objectively a fact it is fixed i don't get to decide what happened 2000 years ago that's that's not up to to my opinion that is something which is either true or untrue and christianity is built on that truth um, what are your thoughts on this idea of humility being dislocated, being moved to the area of conviction rather than the area of where my limits are as an individual?
1: Well, I, I think he certainly hit that on the head, the nail on the head. And, you know, it's only gotten, you know, even more, more so since his time, you know, you think of the idea of how we promote self-esteem and the idea of, of being sure of yourself and confident in yourself. And really, you know, it, it comes down to that. Be confident in yourself no matter, you know, no matter what. And it doesn't really matter what you're doing or, or the truth you're espousing. But if you're confident in what you say and the idea that, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere and definite in, you know, how you believe it or what you say about it yep. or unknown.
0: let's talk about some of that because you, I know you've spent a a long time in career, um, in school, schooling, I should say, um, which you were at a boarding school. Right. Um, John, how should we be teaching people to have self-esteem? Because this is certainly a place where young people have been sold a lie. Young people have been sold that regardless of what the world thinks. Or regardless of where you're at, the world must bow down to you and affirm everything about you in your natural state. There's no excellence required. There's no pursuit of anything higher. You know, if you have these desires, if you want to look a certain way, and we see as this dislocation of humility comes along, people do kind of make themselves ugly. Um, there's there's an interesting connection there. What what would you say is the correct way to teach young people about health, um, self-esteem? How would how would have you done that at a Christian school?
1: Well. I Really, I, I think the idea of self-esteem as a Christian, it comes down to submitting your will to the will of God. And the idea that my esteem comes from how well am I submitting to God's will and how completely am I carrying out God's will. And so, you know, if, if other people attack me or whatever, it's not me they're attacking. It's God because I'm following God, you know, and... Uh, and So so the idea then, it doesn't become about me, it becomes about God. And uh, I to me, really, I, I think that's kind of the essence of self-esteem, how we're carrying that idea forward.
0: Oh, absolutely. Being able to see the world through the lens of the life of Christ Jesus is so much more powerful than just seeing it through the eyes of our own life and being limited in that way. When you look at how the modern world treats self-esteem, it really is this idea of, the world should accept you and really congratulate you for however you naturally are, which is really sad because that's not very fulfilling in the end either. If you didn't have to work to achieve anything mm-hmm. and suddenly you get the, the trophy that says you're you're an expert, you're great, um, all this congratulations without actually accomplishing something, you know, that might be fun for a moment, but in the end, that is very ungratifying. It leaves you hollow because there's not a lot of substance behind it, and it, it's ultimately aimless, and you can't stay there for very long before, before you start slipping back to that void. The nihilism is ultimately always going to creep in with that because you're not aspiring to anything higher. You're not looking to the character of God. You're not trying to emulate Christ-likeness with the Holy Spirit in your life, but instead you're just just going through the motions. Whatever, whatever you feel mm-hmm. that day is where it's at. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. When we make our lives about ourselves, we wind up with very meaningless lives.
0: Yeah. And we as the church, we should really look to flip the script back to the way that we're supposed to. As you said yesterday, you know, if we really were interested in worship for what worship is truly meant to be, we could revelationize or My mouth is doing dumb things. Mm -hmm. We could revolutionize how we act as Christians and what life in the church looked like. And when it comes to self-esteem, when it comes to how we interact with the world, our faith should have godly ambition coupled with it. And when Jesus, he takes and commissions them with the great commission from Matthew chapter 28, you know, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, up to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They go up to a high place. There, there is an achievement here that's not a worldly human achievement of you just woke up one day and decided to walk somewhere, but death itself has been defeated and Christ has taken you to a high place and he wants you to go to that high place so that you can be commissioned. You're giving something with real meaning and purpose and it's not of your origin, but it's beyond anything you could ever conjure up and there's so much more beauty in life when we aspire to those high things.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, The idea that humility is not the idea that nothing we do can ever be of value and that nothing we can do is ever worth doing. It's the idea that we can do great things, not in ourselves. We do great things through God. We do great things through Christ. We don't do great things for our own purposes. We do great things for God. But, you know, we we want to see great, great things done for God. And so, you know, that's not arrogance. That's, that's uh, wanting to see God succeed, you know, wanting to see God glorified.
0: Sure. And Chesterton, when writing on humility, says humility was largely meant as a restraint upon the arrogance and infinite appetite of man. And he goes on to say that, you know, man left his own resources. His very power of enjoyment destroys half of his joy without humility that restrains that worldly arrogance. because And we find people doing this today. Their, their arrogance ends up destroying half their joy. Their, their pursuit of enjoyment costs them joy in the end. Um, but humility is not meant to be a thorn in your side, but instead it's meant to give you the proper orientation towards God where you know your place in creation and you're ready to walk up the mountain with Jesus. You're ready to aspire to those great heights. I'll let you have some final thoughts there before we wrap this up. Well,
1: you know, that to me, humility is is such a blessing to us because, you know, it lets us we are free to be who we are. So much of the time in this world, we spend so much time and energy trying to be who we're not trying to be the person that we want other people to think we are trying to you know fit the idea of everyone else around us and humility says i don't have to play those games anymore i can be myself exactly as i am because i am in christ and so it frees us up from all of that
0: oh absolutely it's like if you were to lie to yourself that you're a giant and now we're going to talk a little bit of a fantasy here Mm. you know your, your life wouldn't be very meaningful because anytime you walked outside, you would recognize that the buildings around you, they're taller than you. You know, you still have to walk a full mile if you want to travel a mile. Lying to yourself about being a giant is not very freeing at all. It would be a terribly miserable life. But humility is you walk outside and you say, you know, I'm a man. I'm as tall as I am. I'm as athletic as I am. And you know what? I can enjoy the great beauty of God's creation. I can walk over there. I can go fishing. I can go spend time with my family. Humility is understanding your position in creation. And you can look up and say, I'm not the the judge of the living and the dead. I'm not the author of life. But when I accept this wonderful gift that is given to me, then I can walk through creation. I, I can build a tower. You know, I'm not a giant who's taller than the tower, but I can build one. I can build the temple. If I'm back there living in the time of of Ezra, they're going back and rebuilding the temple. You don't have to lie to yourself. You can be honest about where things are, and you can pursue the beautiful and wondrous things that God wants. But if you start off by lying to yourself, you're never going to get there. You're just going to be miserable. Being honest about where you're at and honest about what God wants to do for you, it is such an empowering thing. And one of the things that we find when we look throughout that list of the different questions that people responded to, these different items, there really is no humility or honesty about where people are in the grand course of creation. There is such a high value placed on the self, and the self, I as an individual, get to decide truth. I as an individual get to decide what is real history and what's not. And it's it's like going outside and saying, I am the giant, I am 200 yards tall or something ridiculous like that, and you're not. You're, you're not, and it's never going to be fulfilling. So we'll wrap this up. John, if you have any final thoughts, um, feel free to share them and then close us out in prayer.
1: Well, I'll just close us in prayer. All righty. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and your your teachings to us, the wisdom that you provide for us, uh, how how you enable us, Lord, through through what you show us to be yours. And we, we give you praise for that, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.